Women's health is so important and balanced hormones are key for that. We've been loving Hormone Harmony from Happy Mammoth, who's committed to making women's lives easier. Hormone Harmony contains adaptogens, science-backed herbal extracts that help the body adapt to stressors like hormonal changes that happen naturally throughout a woman's life. We love it because it helps us maintain optimal hormone levels and supports our mood and general well-being. There is a reason that one bottle of Hormone Harmony is sold every 24 seconds. For a limited time, you can get 15% off on your entire first order at happymammoth.com. Just use code F1R the girls at checkout. That's happymammoth.com and use the code F1R the girls for 15% off today. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to For the Girls. It's always such a nice feeling to have it be race week again after an off weekend. It has felt like forever since Monaco, and we are hype for the Baku race. There's historically been some super exciting races here, a lot of drama, opportunity for some underdogs to shine, the whole shebang. And for all of our female listeners, we know there are a lot of you. We will be doing, after the preview, a special segment on women in F1. We're super excited to walk through some of that stuff, and hopefully you guys will be excited to hear it. We will get right into it. I'm Tiggy. I'm Sarah. And I'm Chessa. So this weekend, we are going to, we are virtually going to Azerbaijan, uh, Baku. It's going to be a 7 a.m. race here in New York City. So sadly, this time, we will be watching in bed, but does not mean we're going to be any less excited so if we're not counting Miami as a legitimate street circuit, Baku is actually the newest street circuit on the F1 calendar. They hosted their first GP in 2016. It's a great circuit. Charles holds the lap record here from 2019. So a little characteristics about this track. 51 laps, 6 kilometers. This makes it the third longest track on the calendar. It's in Baku, like I mentioned, which is the capital of Azerbaijan which is a small country to the east of Turkey and north of Iran. And like Monaco, the race is truly through the heart of the city with people's apartment building, balconies, looking over the track. It's personally one of my favorite circuits. I think it's so fun. Plus, a good portion of the track is along the water. And then another part is through this old part of the city that still has medieval walls standing. There are lots of tight twists and turns and narrow sections with a long, fast straight along the shoreline. So basically a bit of everything Teams have to pick whether to focus their car setups on the tight turns versus the straight line speed, but it is thought that the straight line speed a la Red Bull will be the most important <laughs> factor. Um, max speed is about 209 miles per hour and lots of overtaking, hopefully. There's a super long straight, as we mentioned, and then one going into turn one, which is a great overtake opportunity. Turn one is a 90 degree turn um, and cars, yeah, cars can run three wide through that turn, which is pretty crazy. Yeah. Turn two, also 90 degrees and then another straight going into turn three. So there's a lot of action right at the beginning. And then sector two has some tighter corners and then sector three is super fast. So hopefully a lot of action. Two DRS zones, one on the main straight going into turn one and then one on the other straight between turn two and three. Oh, that's going to be so exciting. So now that we know what the track looks like, let's talk about last year's race. I think last year's race was a pretty wild one. Mistakes galore from the top drivers and the grid was totally shaken up, which if you're a loyal For the Girls fan, you know is our favorite thing. 
Um, so we kind of hope we'll see more races like this. The podium last year was Checo, Vettel, and Gasly. So what a rogue podium. I'm so here for it. Especially last year when like Mercedes and Red Bull were doing so well to have that kind of a podium is really exciting. Love it. Yeah, it was Checo's second ever win and he had a really strong race after starting P6. It was Aston Martin's first podium in F1 since Aston Martin had just taken over the team. And then rounding out the top 10, we had Charles, P4, Lando, Alonso, Yuki, Carlos, Daniel, and Kimi. But it was a rough day for the championship leaders, especially for Max. He had a DNF. He had a 200-mile-an-hour crash on the main straight. There was a break on the inner sidewall of the left rear tire. Yeah, it was a massive crash. He was very comfortably leading the race, and there were only five laps left. And this is what generated that famous picture of him kicking his tire on the back of his car. (laughs) And what was crazy was Stroll also had a high-speed tire blowout on the same tire, the left rear, and on the same straight earlier in the race. And so people were displeased with Pirelli that day. So there was a long red flag from Max's DNF, just chaos and very unfortunate for him. We also saw Lewis finishing P15. He wasn't P2, so similar to Max, was pretty. Do- he was dominating. But in another big shocker, he had a huge lockup and went off track at the turn one runoff area. Turns out he knocked the brake magic switch by accident. Oh so God. that was really like an unforced error there. But yeah, bad day for Max and Lewis. And then sort of unsurprisingly, Latifi had a whole host of issues. (laughs) Um, 10 second stop and go penalty that turned into a 30 second penalty for failing to enter the pit lane during the safety car. Oh no. (laughs) There's just a lot of drama, a lot of chaos surrounding that race. Uh, We are excited for this year. I feel like Baku never disappoints. Exactly. So I think for this weekend, we can definitely expect a fast, chaotic, action-packed race Obviously, we have the history of all of these exciting races. I think this will also be an interesting track. There's going to be a lot of opportunities for non-DRS overtaking, which we always love to see. And especially on this track, small mistakes will have big consequences, especially on those narrower parts of the track. So I think the drivers are really going to have to bring their A games. And because this track is so new, I mean, it's a street circuit, but because it's so new, it's going to be more suited to these modern cars than Monaco. So we are going to be able to still see like the traditional speed and spiciness that we we see from F1. Yes, this is why I love this track so much because you get some of those Monaco vibes with the apartment buildings and the water, but you get more exciting racing, much more exciting racing. And so this track has had some wild races since the inaugural race in 2016. As Tiggy said, definitely never boring. In 2017, Danny Rick had a huge upset win and wait for it, Stroll was on the podium with Williams <laughs> in his rookie season. What on earth? And the big drama wow. of that race was Hamilton allegedly brake-checked Vettel, who then pulled up alongside and allegedly purposely crashed into Hamilton. So <laughs> that was 2017. Oh, my gosh. And then in 2018, Lewis won. But the main story was that Danny and Max, both were at Red Bull at the time, wrecked each other at turn one and both didn't finish. So a lot of stuff there. The pit wall had let them race sort of wheel to wheel, but it ended up being a total disaster. Some people think this adds to Red Bull's hesitancy to let the teammates fight and why they were so early on team orders in Barcelona. But in that incident, both uh, stewards concluded that both drivers were at fault and Christian also publicly blamed both of them, which was pretty funny. Christian will never hold back. I think that's that's a great team principal quality. <laughs> so speaking of Red Bull, let's let's go briefly and talk a little bit about the teams and what we can see from them this weekend. So Red Bull, 
Like we said here, they are favored to do really well at Baku because of their straight line speed, but we need to make sure that they are that they're going to be fixing those DRS issues that they were having in Barcelona. Their chief engineer hinted that the problem stemmed from their efforts to cut weight on the car. And in Baku, the rear wing has to open up at a speed of almost 190 miles an hour. So they've really got to get that fixed. Checo is great on this track. He won last year. He was P3 in 2016 with Force India, P3 in 2018 as well. Um, So I think we can expect really great things from him. Meanwhile, Max is now tied with Vettel for the most podiums of any Red Bull driver and will break that record here if he podiums in Baku. So a lot on the line here for Max as well. He was on track for a pretty easy win last year if it wasn't for that blowout right at the end. So we could see this. One thing that I really want to talk about with you both is Checo being in the title mix. So he's only 15 points behind Max and six points behind Charles. So Basically, only really one good race for Checo and simultaneously a really bad race for Max separates them. And in true spicy Christian fashion, he said that it doesn't matter, quote, it doesn't matter to us which of the two is world champion. And he said, quote, they're both Red Bull drivers. They've both got the same chance. I mean, TBD, whether that's actually true, but okay. And then in another post-Monaco kind of funny drama, Max's dad, who was an F1 driver back in the day, criticized Red Bull for not running a better Monaco strategy for Max. And I wonder Mm -hmm. if this was generated one of those behind-the-scenes atmospheres where we just hear Max yelling, like, Dad, stop, like any child of a helicopter sports parent. (laughs) Yeah, I feel like Max and his dad, like Max's dad is always breathing down his neck in a lot of ways um, and is very hard on him. But to your to your point, Sarah, about Checo being in the title mix, like I would love to see that. My thought is I will believe it when I see it. I think you have to believe. No, you have to believe for (laughs) it to happen. I want it. Yeah. Okay. Maybe that's fair. But I just think Max has sort of been the favorite child for, uh, you know, since he's been at Red Bull. And I just think, yeah, I'll believe it when I see it, when they actually give Checo sort of the same treatment that they've given Max, run them on equally great strategies and, you know. Oh, well, if Checo can celebrate anything like he did over Monaco, I think he has a champion, (laughs) a championship celebration in him as well. So I'm (laughs) not putting him down for the count. I'm scared to know what that championship celebration looks like. Honestly, I don't think it could get worse than what we saw. But The yacht will sink if he wins the championship. (laughs) We love him. And I I will say, though, about taking your comment about the strategy, I I think on the merits, Max is a better driver. People obviously tend to run away with storylines when they happen. And so I think now that he's so much stronger than last season and really challenging Max in certain races, it's become a storyline of, oh, Checo in the championship fight. I think realistically, it's going to be Max v. Charles. But I do think that aside, that Checo certainly has shown that he's going to be up at the front this year with maybe a couple more wins, some more podiums, and is much closer to Max in qualifying pace. So I think he's going to be up there. But I, yeah, I don't think Checo world champion is going to happen. Well, I I hope you're proven wrong, Sarah, just for Checo (laughs) and all of the Checo fans out there. We'll see. So Ferrari, the vibes are probably not great after Monaco. Uh, would love to have been a fly on the wall in that post-race debrief with Charles. But it's a it's a test of how the team reacts under pressure after their own mistakes cost two consecutive wins in Barcelona and Monaco, both of which seem pretty certain. They're not planning on bringing any upgrades until Silverstone in July, in part because of the budget cap. And speaking of the budget cap, the drama continues there. Gunther said that any increase will just widen the gap between top teams in the midfield. 
Meanwhile, Toto said he wants to raise staff salaries due to high inflation and said that the midfield teams were being, quote unquote, stubborn. The budget cap, though, overall, definitely forcing teams to reduce and stop the small types of one-off changes they would usually make to especially suit the car to each track, such as small front wing changes, other things like that. So yeah, they got to they gotta work with what they've got. Work with what you got. This inflation drama just... I feel like every single week there's just more of an inflation fight. <laughs> so uh, let's talk about Mercedes. So Mercedes had horrible porpoising in Monaco after it had looked like they were making some decent gains after Barcelona. But so the high speed nature of Baku makes it more like Barcelona than Monaco. So Mercedes could make it, uh, could, could see a little bit of better racing, but they think that the street circuit might make the porpoising just as bad because the regular road surface here won't, won't help. Lewis did mention there was potholes in Monaco. I mean, it's a street circuit. What can you expect, Lewis? But I was shocked by that, though. I was like, oh, potholes actually being a consideration? It's not something you hear every day. <laughs> I mean, I don't think we're seeing, like, the massive potholes that open up on, like, a New York City street, but I think a little <laughs> divot can make a big difference for him. Um, so to that, to that end, George thinks he'll be about three-tenths off the pace. And this is only the second time in his career that Lewis has been beaten by a teammate six times in a row. And the other wow. time was in the Nico Rosberg era back in 2016. And Nico Rosberg was the 2016 champion. So foreshadowing, question mark. Um, but Toto basically said it was just bad luck keeping Lewis back. But as we talked about, talked about a little bit last time, six out of seven races does seem a bit more like a trend than just pure luck. But at the same time, he definitely has had issues with safety cars and traffic. But also, being stuck in DRS trains and midfield traffic is just a feature of racing more in the midfield. So I don't really know how I come out on this, but George, clearly the results are that George is doing better. And then we have Haas. So poor baby Mick. He really needs that first point so badly. Sadly, he's really struggled on street circuits recently. He had a huge crash in Jeddah and now in Monaco as well. And he had big crashes on both of these tracks in 2021 too. Oh my gosh. Just a lot of crashing for him. The Monaco crash this year actually is going to cost up to a million dollars to repair on top of probably a million dollar repair job from Jeddah earlier this season. So just maybe that's why they are not bringing any upgrades (laughs) ever. (laughs) There's no budget left. Yeah. Gunther said, it's not very satisfactory having a big crash again. We need to see how how we move forward from here. And Mix, we'll get into some of the contract discussion uh, in a bit, but Mix's contract is up at the end of this year, so we'll see what happens. But if Jetta is any indication, Mick will struggle here as a high-speed street circuit, but we really hope this is his redemption arc moment. And then K-Mag, he had a Monaco DNF from a water leak, and the season has just not been very good to him, as the start indicated, but I guess we can see if he'll turn it around. Yeah, for Mick, it's tough and I think it's hard at least for us I feel like we're fond of him in part because of his dad which I think is so many people are but at a certain point he's got to start matching K-Mag or dot 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 I don't know I don't want to say it but it's just not looking great at the moment yes and speaking of which let's talk a little bit about McLaren because I think we're sensing some of the similar stuff with Danny I think Danny's gonna have to have in a really amazing race this weekend 
pulls something out of his hat to save himself. Uh, so Jacques Villeneuve, a world champion in the 90s, did say that Daniel Ricardo's time at McLaren is over. Of Zach Brown mentioning that escape clause as a way to put pressure on the driver to prepare the media for what might happen. And, and Jacques even emphasized that Danny is super expensive. He said, quote, it would just be cheaper for them to continue paying his salary, let him sit on the couch at home and put a ni- another driver in the car. This is the savagery in F1 is truly next level. <laughs> but something crazy, a wild stat. So McLaren has 59 points so far this year. Norris has scored 48 of them. No. Like, talk about putting the team on your back. <laughs> oh, that's so bad. That's adding insult to injury for Danny right there. Yup. Just a couple other quick notes about other teams. So Alpha Tauri, Gasly's got to show off here, maybe to impress some other teams for next year. He had a decent performance at Monaco, some great overtakes, but we'll talk about potential open seats and who could be uh, maybe capitalize on, on that cough, cough Gasly, um, but he's got to perform. And then Williams Albon defended his decision to keep Leclerc behind him for a lap in Monaco, despite the blue flag saying that he had a big pace advantage. But honestly, that just annoys me to hear like, really, I'm, I'm such a big, as soon as there's a blue flag anywhere in sight, I'm just like, get out of the way. I don't care if you think you're faster. Just get out of the way. <laughs> totally. Like you're literally getting past. You're not faster. I don't understand. <laughs> you're getting lapped. Like that's why there's a blue flag is you are getting lapped. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> there's nothing left to prove. So yeah, let's do our hot takes. Tiggy, what is yours? Okay, mine's a little bit of a wild card, but I'm going to say Vettel on podium. He loves this track. He has started and finished in the top four every single time he's raced here. He has always done really well. As we said, he was P2 last year. I could see some big things from him and I'm going to manifest that. I like that. Mine, same with, uh, in, in terms of Vettel being good here, Checo also so strong on this track. I think Checo on podium. I'm going to go with no Ferraris on podium. Uh, Yeah, I don't know. I would like to be proven wrong, but I don't think there have been great at responding to pressure recently, and the team decision-making has left something to be desired. So I'm not sure if the car setup they go with is going to be the best. We'll see. And I'm also going to throw in Gasly and Lando, high up in the points. For me, Checo is going to win again um, and seal the deal as the best driver to ever exist. (laughs) (laughs) no surprise there he's got like seven world champions to championships to do before okay best driver isn't always a a quantitative stat anyways i also think that we're gonna have either a ferrari or max on podium but not both and then i'm gonna throw a wild card in there for a, a spicy p3 Okay, friends, it's festival and concert season, and you know it's all about the boots this year. That's why you need to make Tacova's your number one place for festival style this spring. And don't forget to shop their seasonal and limited edition offerings, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. We love Tacova's. They have a first wear comfort, which basically means there's no break in period. It's the best thing ever. So stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, and shop new styles. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personal. Personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's really no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it to a store, though, just visit tecovas.com, T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and they ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. We all need a little extra health booth sometimes, and Fleur Marche makes it easy for us to supercharge our wellness. Their botanical wellness patches have been such a fun addition to our routine. We just stick them on wherever we want. They have them for sleep, relaxation, focus, and other things. And the patch delivers ingredients to your body in a subtle but effective way, and the results last up to 12 hours. 
Fleur Marche also has botanical gummies and their new organic nutritional powder, Green Machine. They only use the best ingredients and are tested for potency, contaminants, and heavy metals before and after production. And one of our favorite things, we also love that the company is founded and inspired by women with the mission of helping us feel 100% every single day so that we can have full energy and crush it every day. Find your new wellness essentials at fleurmarche.com and get a special discount just for our listeners. Get 20% off your first order site-wide with promo code for the girls at checkout. Orders over $50 also get free shipping. Go to fleurmarche, F-L-E-U-R-M-A-R-C-H-E.com. Use code for the girls for 20% off your first order. So big news this week as we dive into a couple headlines. So fresh off his Monaco win, Checo signs a two-year contract extension with Red Bull. There was a hilarious hot mic moment of him joking about, oh, did I sign too early to Christian? And then he got asked about it in the post-race press conference, and he and Max were just sort of awkwardly laughing, and uh, Checo sort of claimed it was a joke about something else. (laughs) So unclear if Red Bull was going to hold off on that announcement. Uh, Because it was really just finalized over the weekend in Monaco. But I guess the question still stands of did he sign too early after his his Monaco win? And the really big question we want to jump into is what this means for drivers like Gasly, who are maybe good enough to potentially drive for a top team. But there's really not a lot of room at the top of the grid with contracts not set to expire anytime soon. Um, So in terms of contracts ending in 2022, there's a lot. Alonzo, Vettel, um, Joe, Mick them both Alpha Tauri drivers and both Williams drivers. So in terms of people with a big opportunity to move up, it's really Gasly. And then in terms of contracts ending in 2023, there's Lewis, Danny, Russell, and K-Mag. But the big caveat here is there is a lot of gossip going around about some sort of potential escape clause in Danny's contract. So the question is whether McLaren can maybe trigger that or does it have to be Danny? If he's having a miserable time, would he maybe trigger the escape clause after this year? I don't know. So basically, there's no openings at any top teams in the near future except for McLaren, assuming, of course, that Lewis pulls a Tom Brady and keeps on keeping on, which I think he will. (laughs) Yeah, I think that is going to depend on how much Mercedes can get it together. I feel like he's really in it. He's, He's old. He's like 37 or 38. I feel like he's fighting to break the record going for that eighth championship. But if it's clear that they're not going to be in contention in the next few years, I wonder if he'll keep waiting it out. I hope he does. I would love to see him cement that, you know, record, but I guess we'll see. Yes, I think another year or two of redemption for Lewis is in order. So I think our hot take would be that McLaren uses McLaren uses the escape clause to dump Danny at the end of this year, however however it may happen, and then they take Gasly. I think Gasly is less risky than an IndyCar or American driver to come into F1. He already has solid experience. He races super well if any and if Monaco is any indication of that. Um I think we can see that he's definitely frustrated with Alpha Tari and ready to make make some waves at a new team. I think two other big ifs as well are whether Vettel and Alonso retire and open up the seats at Aston Martin and Alpine. Alonso said he's feeling good and will likely race for a couple more years. Um, but Alpine will have to decide on Piastri versus keeping Alonso since Alcon's contract isn't up until 2024. Oh, that's a good point. If they're trying to get some young blood and they're clearly super invested in Piastri. Totally. So the other last big if is who takes Latifi's seat because he's definitely out of here unless some pay driver shenanigans starts to happen. The Williams head of vehicle performance said after 
DeVries did FP1 in Barcelona that DeVries deserves a seat. So maybe we'll see that as well. And I hate to throw in Mick, but we have to at this point. So hopefully Mm. because it is his second year and it's people are kind of saying, oh, well, it's actually like his rookie year because of Mazepin and last year and the new car. But still, they can only F1 is just cutthroat and they can only make excuses for so long. So fingers crossed. Yeah, but if I'm confident in anything, it is that Latifi will not have a seat next year. (laughs) (laughs) All right. We'll see. I, I hope we get some young blood in. So just to dive into our special topic, we wanted to talk about women in F1. Sadly, there are very few women in Formula One and just motorsport generally, but there are some women making huge strides, making waves, seeing a lot of exciting things from them. Shout out to Lewis for being a really strong proponent of women in motorsport. And fun fact, June 23rd is International Women in Engineering Day. So we'll talk about a few women engineers in F1 to to keep an eye out for. Definitely. So a good place to start really quickly is just to talk about women in the F1 business in general. Formula One is actually required by law to publish a gender pay gap report. It's only seven pages, though. There's not really that much data around it, but they did just publish theirs this year. So we thought we'd hit on a few quick points. Um, This year, the gender gap is, or 2021, the gender gap was 70% men, 30% women. There is still a pay gap. It's around 19%, but it has gotten better since the report for it was being published in 2017, where the pay gap was almost 52%. So I think that's just a good place to start off. I think from a business side, we need to see more women in F1 and then obviously on the actual tracks themselves. So in terms of female drivers, in the 70 years since the first Grand Prix, while women have technically always been eligible to compete, there's only been a really small handful of female drivers Giovanna Amati was the last woman to enter a Formula One Grand Prix weekend, and that was in 1992, and she didn't even qualify for the actual race. She just competed in qualifying back when it was a different format. So tough out there. Um, we want to give a shout-out, though. Marisa Teresa de Filippis entered a Grand Prix weekend in the 50s, so that's pretty legendary. Wow. Yeah. Then we had two women, Lella Lombardi and Davina Galicia in the 70s, Desiree Wilson in the 80s. And then most recently, Giovanna Amati drove at three Grand Prix weekends in 1992. This was back when the qualifying format was different. As I mentioned, she failed to qualify for the race. And so all in all, it's been almost 50 years since a woman actually started in an F1 race. Wow. Since then, though, women have tested F1 cars with Susie Wolf, of course, being the last woman to take part in an F1 race weekend session in 2015. When the super license system came to be, there really has only been one woman to get enough points to be eligible, Catherine Leggy, but her points expired in 2019 and her last drive was a test for Minardi in 2005. So it's been a while. The last woman to test a Formula One car was Tatiana Calderon, who happens to also be the only woman to compete in Formula Two so far. In 2019, she was a test driver for Alfa Romeo and since switched to racing in IndyCar, actually. Uh, another person I think is important to mention is Sophia Flores. Um, she competed in Formula 3 in 2020. So pretty recently, she failed to score enough points, though, to even, you know, to make it to Formula 2, Formula 1, etc. From what we've been saying, women are not really a part of the sport. The pipeline is pretty weak. And I think there's kind of a lack of importance being placed on making them a true part of the sport. It doesn't, I'm not saying it's it's lip service, but it does feel like there needs to be some more substantial gains to make these women more of a legitimate part of the pipeline. 
Yeah, the pipeline itself is really a huge issue. As we've discussed, I think it was in the Americanization episode, a ton of the current drivers started karting on the European circuits when they were really young and then also moved into single-seaters quite young and raced in Formula 3, Formula 2, other feeder series, etc. If there aren't girls karting when they're like 12 on the European circuit, it's way less likely that there's going to be women further down the line as the pipeline gets narrower and narrower down to Formula 1. But Kimi Raikkonen did go karting with his young daughter recently, so maybe we'll see that start to change a bit. Yes. And a good example of this pipeline issue is the last time there was more than a single woman competing in a feeder series to F1 was in 2012 when Alice Powell, Vicky Piria, and Carmen Jorda raced at GP3, which is an F2 feeder. And then one other thing to note is really the sponsorships. Like we talked about, you need a lot of money and sponsorship to get into F1. And without a successful track record, which women don't really have the opportunities to get, you fall into this vicious cycle of just not being able to break through. And I think this will be a major obstacle as we go forward. Yeah. In a different episode, we're going to talk about W Series, but Jamie Chadwick, who's a two-time W Series champ and is defending her title this year, said she couldn't find enough sponsorship money and backers to move into Formula 3 or Formula 2 this year. So that's definitely a huge problem. Yeah. And and other racing series are trying to combat this. Like Sarah said, we'll talk about the W Series. But interestingly, Formula E, so that's like the electric cars, actually started out with the kind of a goal of trying to get gender parity within its drivers. The first Formula E race ever featured the only single-seater crash between two women that was in Beijing. But sadly, since then, there really hasn't been any women racing since season two, even though plenty of women have tested Formula E cars. So again, it's not like we're saying it's lip service, but I think there needs to be a lot more substantial strides to make this a reality. Yeah. And so let's talk about the legend herself, Susie Wolf. She was a racing driver herself, and she's now the CEO of Venturi Racing, the Formula E team. She is also Total Wolf's wife, um, for those of you who didn't know that. She recently spoke quite candidly to Beyond the Grid about her experience of being a woman in racing. She raced in karting directly against Lewis and other big names. She was a Williams test driver for three years from 2012 to 2015. She actually tested in Botas's car, which is pretty funny. And in one FP1, she was only two tenths off Felipe Massa at the 2014 German Grand Prix. What a legend. Yeah, she's amazing. And she said in the interview that she really didn't like being singled out for her gender instead of her racing, which I think is another issue. She felt kind of tokenized in karting. And she said she'd only ever done one interview in which she wasn't asked about being a woman. And then wow. immediately after she said that, the interviewer said, oh, so what was life like as a woman in karting? So I think that also shows just from immediate aspects, the challenges of being a woman in racing and then only ever getting asked about your gender and not your actual racing. Yeah. Um, Like we said, so she is married to Toto and she's also pretty involved with Mercedes. She's a brand ambassador. She's often at the garage. She raced for Mercedes in DTM in Germany before she was an F1 test driver. And she recently tested the Mercedes AMG One, which is a new $2.7 million road car that's launching this month, which incorporates the team's F1 tech. It has DRS and everything. So that's pretty cool that she did <laughs> you guys that. Can, you guys can get me out for my birthday next year. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my birthday's coming up. Awesome. We'll start saving up. <laughs> in honor of the Women in Engineering Day coming up, we wanted to talk about some Formula One female engineers to watch. So 
a few just off the bat. We have Christina Emanuelides, who is in Alfa Romeo. She's Australian. She's a computational fluid dynamics development engineer. What a mouthful. <laughs> um, designing and maintaining the software used in the team's aerodynamic computer simulations. Wow. So cool. Wow. I would love to meet her and pick her brain. That just sounds so interesting. Yeah, that's incredible. Then we also have Bernadette Collins with Aston Martin. She was part of McLaren's graduate program and was later a performance engineer there. And in 2020, she was the head of race strategy at Aston Martin. She did say she'll be moving on later this season. We're really excited to see what she does next. (laughs) We also have Chin Lee. She works at Ferrari as a senior aerodynamicist. She actually also worked at Haas as a junior aerodynamicist. So she definitely has a lot of awesome experience We have Stephanie Travers at Mercedes. She's a Petronas trackside fluid engineer. She accepted the Constructors Trophy at the 2020 Styrian Grand Prix and became the first ever Black woman to stand on an F1 podium. Wow, that's amazing. So cool. Then we have Hannah Schmitz. She is at Red Bull. She joined as a modeling and simulation engineer, and she's now their principal strategy engineer. People may know her from the 2019 Brazilian Grand Prix podium when her decision to call Max Verstappen in for a third pit stop to help the team secure victory. Well done, Hannah. So great. We thank you for your service. <laughs> <laughs> for all the Max stands out there, Sarah. AKA <laughs> <laughs> so for our last little fun segment, we wanted to talk about what we would pick if we could choose one new F1 circuit anywhere in the world because the uncertainty about Monaco's future got us thinking about some new possibilities. Yeah. So for me, I would love to see a Cape Town street circuit. I have been to Cape Town. I think it would be so cool to have a race on the African continent. Cape Town, for anyone who hasn't been, is just so stunning. Surrounded by mountains, water, like a street circuit there would just be so, so cool. Next level. Oh, mountains in the background. That would be cool. How about you, Chesa? I would live for a New York City street circuit. Like imagine them whipping down the West Side Highway, cutting across Times Square, going down the East River and like doing some fun loops um, in Fidei with the Statue of Liberty in the background. I think it would be- Oh my gosh. And what if they cut through the park too? Amazing. I think no New Yorker would stand for it because (laughs) I don't, it's just too much chaos, but I would be, I would be so happy. I would love that. I, along the veins of kind of the park and water, I want to see Amsterdam maybe. I love Amsterdam and the canals. I feel like the little bridges over the canals would probably collapse under the weight of an F1 car. But if we're in a dream world, I think that would be fun. And if not that, then Paris. Oh, I would love to see Paris. That would be so great. Like if they were circling around the Arc de Triomphe, uh, (laughs) good, good content there. So amazing. Yeah, everyone, let us know your top picks on Instagram, and we will catch you on the other side of Baku for a recap. 